What is up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wise Cracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! Alrighty, and this week I, Austin Hayden Smith, am joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew of Ryan Haley. What's up, film fans? Or Red State Ryan, as he is... Red State Ryan, as he has come to lovingly <laughs> That's a fun house. in the chat. <laughs> oh, in the but chat? In the ch- nice. In the chat, we always get to the, is that Red State Ryan? <laughs> it's uh, me, and, man, here to talk about the fog. <laughs> and Raymond Creamer. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right. So, a little bit of housekeeping before we get into today's episode. First, we want to let you know that we did run a patron poll, a Patreon poll, and uh, there were some films that were selected by the three of us, and we let y'all vote on which film we would be covering out of the six that were up there. And I just want to go through the results real quick. So in last place, with 1% of votes, was I'm Your Woman. Now, what the hell is this movie? Yeah, I've never even heard heard of that. Uh, I'm I'm Your Woman is a movie that came out last year, and um, uh, last month I was trying to catch up on a lot of 2020 movies that I had missed over the year, and uh, I gave it a watch, and I, I really, really enjoyed it. It's kind of a, a deconstruction of a crime movie that uh, sort of follows the kind of characters that would typically be sidelined in a crime movie, uh, specifically you know, the wives and girlfriends, the, the, the sort of scorned women who are always pushed to the edges of the frame in more traditional crime pictures. But I really, really love Raymond, it. what is your current record in these in winning these wisecrack movie polls? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been keeping track. I know that we've done we did something of mine from a Patreon okay. poll. I think the so Bob, I think the Babadook may have been a Patreon choice yeah. uh, of mine. It's taken me years um, to craft a strategy on how to to go about this because I, I used to come at it with like, oh man, this is some rare cool movie. I hope that it wins my poll, but no, yeah. I never do the rare movies anymore. You got to go with <laughs> Hook, baby. Fan favorites. Yeah. Fan, Fan favorites. Fa- crowd pleasers. Oh yeah. So the last one was, last place was I'm Your Woman with 1%. Second to last with 8% was my choice of Mud. Um, The third to last choice with 15% was Surf Nazis Must Die, which was one. Yeah. I'm going to have to just say we got to put that on the list at some point because that is fantastic. Surf Nazis Must Die is number four in the Patreon poll, but number one in all of our hearts. That, <laughs> that you can have a whole historical time. breakdown on that film. You know, it's 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 a retelling of World War II with just surfers. You know, so uh, surfing, Nazis, death, da- yeah, everything. all that stuff. Something for the whole family. Yeah. In third place was Sound of Metal, which is another film that I don't know anything about. I, I I've been wanting to see that. That's that. Uh, yeah, the 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 drummer who starts going deaf. Yeah. Another great uh, 2020 flick uh, okay. that I caught up early this year. Very, very good uh, lead performance from Riz Ahmed. Good performances all around. Oh, I love Riz Ahmed. Okay, great. Um, and then in second place was my choice, Another Round, which is the new Vinterberg, Mads Mikkelsen uh, team up, um, which wait. I'll probably actually see in theaters. Yeah, I think I'm going to see it this weekend, actually, at the Ritz Theater, if people are, uh, you, in Sydney know the yet? Ritz. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. I figured since you threw it out there that it was one of your favorite. I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's great. Well, so that's the thing is everybody that I talk to say it's amazing. And I know that it's got like some Kierkegaardian themes. So I feel like, and I love Vinterberg. He's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. And The Hunt was I one of my alcohol. favorite films. I love alcohol. There you go. <laughs> Getting a nice little buzz is okay. So I feel like it's got all the, the perfect ingredients. Um, but the winner was Ryan's Choice, the 1991 classic Hook. That's so right. we will be talking about Hook once we finish our John Carpenter retrospective. We were waiting to make sure that Ryan could be here because obviously we couldn't cover it the week after the poll because that was last week and he wasn't available. So we were like, we have to re re uh, jigger some things up here so that we can get Ryan on to make sure we actually talk about it. But we will be talking about Hook in three weeks' time because this week we are going to be talking about The Fog, which is continuing our retrospective on John Carpenter. And just to give you a heads up, Next week, I think, have we chosen the one, Ryan? We have chosen the one that we're doing next yes. week? Yes. Yes, we have. Escape from New York. Next <laughs> week will be Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. The week after will be The Thing. 
And so that's what we're doing for the next three episodes. So as I said, this week we're talking about The Fog. Last week we talked about Big Trouble in Little China. Make sure to revisit that if you missed out on that episode. Um, Also, we want to just give a a special shout-out at the top for people who have been writing to us, emailing us, sending us voicemails. Please email more. uh, Send more voicemails. We got two lovely voicemails this week, but they didn't really ask questions. They were kind of just like sending love and shout-outs. So thanks so much to Jarrell and Anon um, who uh, sent those in. But definitely send us your questions, thoughts, and things like that so that we can tackle them at the end of the episode. The number, just I'll say it now and then we'll say it again at the end. But it's 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. Or you can email us at movies. <laughs> and you can email us at movies at wisecrack.co. So just wanted to mention that at the outset so you can feel confident and prepared, especially as you're going into this conversation, to think about all the things that you disagree with or that you agree with so that you can contribute in your voicemails or emails as we talk about John Carpenter's The Fog that stars the Scream Queen, Jamie Lee Curtis, Adrian Barbeau, Tom Atkins, Janet Lee, and Hal Holbrook, among others. It's an ensemble cast. Let's just go around and talk about first impressions and then what was it like revisiting it. Let's start with Raymond. Um, I've seen The Fog quite a few times. This is probably uh, top three John Carpenter films for me. Uh, I really, really love this picture. And uh, more than anything, I love ghost stories. That was like mm. my first love as a kid growing up. That's what made me want to be a storyteller. And uh, mm. it's one of the things I love about this movie is that it's just a, a straightforward, really simple ghost story doesn't do anything too fussy uh gets in and out in like 90 minutes flat uh, uh 11 of which austin joked about on twitter being just opening credits <laughs> it's actually 12 it continued for another minute and a half after i tweeted that. <laughs> okay uh, after after you bugged me the first time yeah. um yeah it, I, I think it's just a really solid ghost movie uh Good nuts and bolts filmmaking, very atmospheric, and a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun to revisit this time around. So uh, I'm excited to talk about it. All right, Ryan. So I, uh, uh, I'm glad to be here on John Carpenter Month. Um, John Carpenter, top three filmmakers for me. I'm sure we've talked wow. about that kind of in the past, but like in terms of not not only just watching the movies, but as a filmmaker, you know, an influence. I would say, like I love. How he directs uh, movies, his, how he plays with genres, and I sp- specifically love how he, what he does mm. with his scores, and you know how, how mm. he makes his own synth synth based scores. So uh, I love the shit out of John Carpenter. I want to preface that, and and it was interesting hearing what you just said, Raymond. How this is your top three for him and stuff, because everything you just said basically. I believe, but is the polar, but I'm the polar opposite of because this is one of my least favorite John Carpenter movies. Wow, interesting. The, like it's per like what you just said. It's perfectly fine, fun little ghost story. But I don't go to a John Carpenter movie just for a fun, like regular old time with the movies. You know, he's a special filmmaker to me. So to me, this is his most normal kind of no frills. Just kind of playing playing it uh, paint by numbers genre ghost movie that's perfectly watchable, but like I don't I don't leave going wow, which is almost every other John Carpenter movie has wow moments for me, and this mm. is kind of his least thrills. And also, very importantly, you say you love ghost stories. I don't really love ghost stories. Like I to me they're mm. kind of the one, and I love horror movies. Well, these are fighting words here. It, right? Yeah, it's more just like like few and far. My favorite ghost movie is literally the movie Ghost. Right, because to me that film is just like <laughs> hey, that's that's a pretty good. Yeah, choice, it's though. really fun, and 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 it's more than just an it's more than just a ghost movie. It's like got a lot more going for it and stuff. But like I I don't know. To me, they're not that scary. I don't really get the logic of how they work all the time. It's you know from movie to movie, it just kind of seems like they can do a lot of stuff, and and it's just to spook you, and they're just a tool to spook spook you, and it doesn't necessarily always work for me logically. So that's kind of my take, my basic take on The Fog is that this is certainly one of my least favorite of his movies. I don't hate it. There's some John Carpenter movies I actually don't like. Um, uh, I'll try to think of those in a second. But yeah, this one's middle of the road. But so I think we're going to be polar opposite views on this one. No, I I get that. I think that's a, a pretty fair critique. And I all the stuff that you said just now, I kind of agree with. But to you, it's kind of a bug. And to me, it's a feature. I like that it's stripped down. I like that it's simple and and uh, in some ways unsophisticated. But um, yeah, I, I totally see where you're coming from. 
Cool. I have not seen this film since I was a kid. So this is, again, revisiting some... I, as a matter of fact, any of Carpenter's films that I've ever seen, uh, except for Halloween, I haven't seen since I was a kid. So this will all be kind of interesting for me, kind of revisiting these things. Um, I was watching this last night, and I, I, I didn't really remember much of it. I had seen the remake. Was that the one that has, like, um, no one like Thomas Jane? Uh, Tom, Tom Welling uh, from... Uh... You might be thinking of the mist star. Oh, the Tom mist. Jane, uh, but Tom the, Welling, the, the guy from uh, from Super Smallville. Tom Smallville. Welling is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the star of the 2005 fog. Yeah, 2005. I had seen that. Um, I but I I don't really remember that either because again that would have been like right after high school and it kind of just I just didn't really care too much about cinema I guess so I didn't really pay attention I think I just kind of saw it. Um, I didn't really know anything about what to expect and I'll be honest I was a little bored at times. Yeah. There you go. And I, I'm going to be on my back foot this whole episode. <laughs> I, I was about an hour, an hour in, and I was like, holy shit, I still have 30 minutes left? You know, like it, it wasn't even, it was like 55 minutes, and I was like, damn, this is a slow-ass moving movie. And then, I, <laughs> and then the movie finished, and then I kind of paused, and I started to reflect on it a little bit, and I kind of started to appreciate it a little bit more in hindsight. Um, and then Not the best review, <laughs> I know. And then I actually read a couple of reviews. One that was from 1980 by Ebert, where he basically makes the same claims that Ryan Haley makes about ghost stories and stuff like that. And then I, I read a couple others about the aesthetic and about the myth um, and how this is a this is like an allegory of the founding of America. And then I started to rethink it even more, and I started thinking, okay. Now, even though it wasn't, for me, the most enjoyable experience, it wasn't, like, fun, I was a little bored, is there something interesting and valuable that I can take away from it? And I kind of now feel like my nostalgia has already kicked in, and I feel like I appreciated the viewing more than I actually did in the moment. You you miss the more innocent world of last night. I do. I absolutely do. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of my impression. So okay, so let's jump uh, into I, a quick recap. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say that um, also a little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, John Carpenter was very disappointed himself with his first rough cut of this movie. He was like, "I've literally made a movie that does not work," and he and if, if he's going to be honest with himself, and and he apparently one third of the movie you end up seeing was reshoots. Right. Yeah, so like even never the a cold open. Right, the cold open yeah. wasn't in the original cut that was added, which actually the movie was running too short, so they they added like the framing device and stuff, and that may also be one of the reasons that uh, that eleven minute credit sequence is so drawn out, where they're just building atmosphere for that first, you know. Uh, nine or ten minutes and and I want to get into this on the other side of the recap because I feel like what this film where it where it errs in storytelling because the narrative is so loosely strewn together um, I think there's something interesting in tone mood and atmosphere that we actually can can ponder over but anyway let's get into the recap it's gonna be a really simple recap because to be honest I don't think again that this is really a plot heavy film it's not that intricate um, so I'm just going to kind of fly through this because I do think, again, this is a tone, this is a mood, this is an atmospheric kind of film. So, But here's the basic structure of the film. We start off in uh, coastal Antonio Bay. It's about to celebrate its 100th anniversary as a town. However, the town priest, Father Malone, learns from his grandfather's diary of a dark secret about the town's founding. A hundred years ago, a clipper ship was intentionally sunk in order to prevent the leper-ridden crew aboard the ship from reaching the shore and establishing a colony. What's worse, the ship was then plundered for its gold, and this gold was used to found the town. So on the hundredth anniversary, this glowing fog begins to roll through the town, bringing with it vengeful revenant crew of the sunken ship who kill and maim the townspeople. To be honest, really, though, the plot is rather thin and scattered, as I said. A bunch of different townspeople and an outsider, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, try to figure out what's going on and also survive the fog. Lots of people's eyes get gouged out and their skulls get crushed and whatnot. Eventually, the ghostly crew, led by the leprous Blake, reach the church where Priest Malone offers, is, is kind of held down and stuff like that, and offers the gold back to... Uh, and himself, actually, to uh, Blake and the crew to spare the town and spare the others and whatnot. Blake grabs the gold cross, it glows, and then it disappears. 
and then Blake and all the revenants disappear as well. So it seems that all is right or all is well, right? Well, no, because the film then ends with Malone wondering why he was spared. And just as he's doing so, the fog reappears under the church doors and Blake comes out and cuts off Malone's head, cut to black. So we're going to get into all of the details now. But before I do that, we do have to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of this week's episode, which is Skillshare. Look, things are freaking tough at the moment. We understand this. People are in lockdown. They're experiencing burnout. They're stressed isolated, etc., etc. This is why Skillshare can be so cool because you can unleash your creativity and pursue your passions right from the convenience of your home. And what's more is you can connect with other people in an online learning community where you can meet with like-minded people and creatives and where you can explore projects together and at your own pace. Uh, so that you can pursue the things that you are passionate about. And they offer a huge huge range of classes. iPhone photography, drone filmography, editing, classes for improving your own productivity. They're doing a new one now on video for Instagram. Um, and then the one that I'm really interested in is titled Artivism, which is Creating Inspiring Art for Social Change. Um, which is, as somebody like myself who is an artist, I do believe in the power of art to change people's minds, to change society. Um, so I think that this class is something that uh, will be really exciting. I haven't taken it yet, but I'm actually looking forward to doing so. So if you want to get in on all of the goodies and explore your creativity, connect with some cool people, go to Skillshare.com SMTM for show me the meaning, and you'll get a free trial of their premium membership. That's Skillshare.com SMTM, and you get a free trial of their premium membership, or you can click a link in the show notes below. Okay, let's get back to chatting about the fog. So... What do we think here? Let's start first with the aesthetic, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, I read a couple reviews that they, they said that the fog is like peak culmination carpenter aesthetic. What does that mean? And is it? He is, he, yeah, like, like I can see exactly why it's totally in his wheelhouse. Like he's all about you know, uh, uh, just the mystery of like, oh, okay, you know, like, like he's a thrills and chills kind of carnival barker of a director. Like he likes to take you from minute to minute and play you like a fiddle. So the fog is this perfect way, perfect device for at any moment. Oh my God, that's so scary. The place is covering up with fog and then it's dark. You don't know what's happening behind it. It's almost like the J.J. Abrams mystery box thing. Like we're not going to, you're just going to, the, the, the mystery of what's happening in that abyss is so scary. It's going to be so frightening. I can just see him getting off on that idea. So I think that that's probably who, whoever wrote that is, 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 it's, it's that it's the, it's him getting off on these, these genre horror aesthetics and being able to play around with it to manipulate an audience and scare them. And, uh, but in this movie, this whole movie is, a, is, is just that it's literally called the fog. So it's one of those great literary tricks where like the the threat of the unknown will always be more terrifying than something that's right in front of you. Um, and and we had a little bit of that back and forth or something to that effect on on Twitter, Austin, that uh, you were uh, like I said, you kind of took the movie to task. It seemed like we're having such a long opening credit sequence. But I do I do love the way that in addition to building the atmosphere and kind of setting the stage, it also sets up the fog as something that is like infecting the the electronics and the mechanics and in the very sort of lifeblood of this town in a way that makes it feel so much more pervasive as a threat. You know, it's it's one thing for uh, these ghosts to have to uh, bring their ghost pirate ship up alongside your clipper and have to board it with their. Uh, you know their their rusty blades swinging around and stuff, but you you don't see that. It's it, it's not it, that's not how the threat enters the room. It's just like if the fog can get in, you just want to be somewhere else when it starts to clear enough to see what's within it. You know, it's that that great scene where the fog overtakes that that ship that's out off the coast and. It's just all of a sudden they're they're on the deck like they are they are more they're like riding the weather more so than they are their own ship even though you you do see glimpses of their ship throughout it and I just think there's there's something very cool about that I I, I just like how 
hell unstoppable. And I think the, the words I used on Twitter where it's just like a borderless threat, you know, there's, there's really no limit that you can put between you and it. There are very clear rules, but it's, it's so difficult to know how to evade it other than just stay out of the fucking fog. That's right. It can go under the door like it does at the very end. And if the fog can seep in there and it does even inside the houses at one point when it's like all the windows and things are closed, but it's still seeping through the cracks a little bit. There is something interesting. Uh, I wonder, and I don't know if Ryan was just intimating at this, but the film is called The Fog. Is the film, you think, obviously that's a very sort of on-the-nose title for the kind of um, villain of the film, you might think, right? But at the same time, do you think the film kind of leaves the audience with a sense of a fog, right? A sense of ambiguity. Is there that, that it lulls you into its own pace, that it lulls you into its own eerie, boundless, meandering style with its long takes and things like that. Am I being too meta here? Like, I'm, uh, but I wonder that, if... That's <laughs> a funny meta take, yes. And the, the, the fog literally rolls over you like a fog. I get what yeah. you're saying. But no, I don't think that that was necessarily in his, <laughs> no. in his writer's yeah, room, even... in his head. Um, but, like, the fact that... Um, I, I do I, I do think that he has a place in his heart for you know he he made the thing obviously so he likes naming his movies after the monster where it's like oh you're gonna go we're gonna go see the the thing the fog the 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 star man <laughs> you know his other movie uh, <laughs> the uh, star man right no it's not the I I, I, I with I, the famous monster Jeff Bridges right I just think that 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 he's trying to make a classic uh, a monster movie. And and but like you're saying, Raymond, that th- this monster is not really a monster. It's the weather, and mm. it's just the the way of which we the monsters come into our lives is is, is you see the fog roll in. So I think that he's definitely trying to set you up for you want to be scared of this fog. Every time you see this fog, something bad's going to happen. You know, th- th- it's th- that's him playing you. Now, let's talk a little bit about... So we've got the fog, which is the bad guy. And let's talk a little it bit about how... He will find you. He will find you, just like, just like Mike will Myers will find you, right? So let's which talk a little bit about... this movie is written by, by the way. Oh, yeah? This movie is written by Nick Castle, co-written by Nick Castle, who oh, is yeah. Mike Myers uh, oh. in the Hollow He plays the shape in the... Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's think a little bit about, is there a similar motif explored the small town that is ravaged by this like relenting force, right? Um, you get something similar here. You get something similar in Halloween. Is there something that Carpenter is exploring about small town America, about the anxieties of small town America? Is there something interesting that's going on there? And why is it so creepy, right? Like in Halloween, the empty homes of suburbia are like truly frightening, right? This like isolating dark dead corpse of a town and then similarly you have kind of death rolling in through this town to kind of reclaim or to correct an imbalance is is there something that carpenter like does he just did he grow up in suburbia and he fucking hated it or what is he saying (laughs) i'm i'm sure there's a there is that to a certain degree and i know that a lot of halloween's impact when it came out was that notion that like you're you're not safe in what should be the the safest spaces, yeah. you know, the, the sanctity of the home is violated by this uh, relentless, just pure evil. The one thing I will say about the fog is at the very least, the threat does have some kind of justification. We sort of, or Austin, you, you mentioned before that uh, as common with a lot of John Carpenter films, this does have a little bit of a, a social or political message or underpinning to it. I think you can enjoy it just as a straightforward ghost movie but there is also like you said some some commentary about uh american settler colonialism and the sins of our um, fathers I, I, so to speak yeah absolutely yeah. and i i like that about the fog it's one of the reasons i prefer the fog to something like halloween while halloween has its merits and i think we'll probably circle back to that one in october and talk about it more at length um when i watch a horror movie if you know, if there's going to be a body count, I want to think that there's some degree to which those folks have transgressed. Like, there are great exceptions to the rule. There are plenty of wonderful movies where uh, evil is just evil for evil's sake. But when you're watching something like this, it does at least give you a sense that 
this malicious entity, whatever it may be, they at least, they, they have an objective. They're not just here to kill. They're not just here to shed blood. Like, they, they do have something motivating them. And, you know, mm. like all great villains, they are the heroes of their own story, mm. even if their story has been prolonged for the past hundred years. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I'm curious... Uh, uh, yeah. it, what you guys would think into the suburban part like does he hate the suburbs i mean i, I think that it's <laughs> just a cool device kind of like how david lynch will uh, set a lot of his movies and just like this the oh, the squeaky clean suburbs but there's this dark underpinning underneath like you know this this cool uh coast town was actually founded you know on all this gold stolen from from a leper colony basically so uh uh I, Such a bizarre origin, too. right? And, and yeah, because John <laughs> like, Carpenter is very much a populist filmmaker, right? So he's super into like you know, fuck the man who uh, uh, you know. There's this kind of untold mm. people's history, Howard Zinn style yeah. of shit yeah, that you yeah. don't know about about uh, about the founding of your country or whatever. And he wants so that's kind of like he's inserting that a little bit into this ghost story. Um, that, that does oh i was just gonna say that does bring up one thought for me that for a long time i've had one little quibble with this movie and as much as i love it if i had to pick a criticism of it i, I think this film being steeped in the tradition of ghost stories and specifically like new england folklore and ghost storytelling it has a lot of the same motifs as a lot of like sea-bound new england mm. uh, folklore I'm kind of upset it doesn't take place in New England. Yeah. I, I, I just, it's it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. And I know that it, it it's more of a me problem than the movie's problem. But when you read and study ghost stories and folklore, a lot of it phases out by the time that we got to California, just because with the onset of modernity and industrialization, uh, things that helped us uh, try and work through the mysteries of life, like ghost stories and superstition kind of fall by the wayside mm. um, and more and more of your history becomes about uh, science and research and things like that and I just think that if this movie took place in New England in the fall it would just be that little extra atmospheric touch that puts it over the edge from like a really solid horror movie for me to being a, a yearly rewatch in October. I think it would be a, a great <laughs> Halloween time rewatch. And as it is, I just, I come back around to it uh, just every once in a while. I don't like seeing yeah. those Northern California coasts. If the, you know, <laughs> like I would watch this every year if it was set in Boston. <laughs> 100, I actually, I would watch this every October if that were the case. Yeah. And it's funny that we, when we talk about Halloween, um, it, that movie has that sort of autumnal sense. They make a point of mm. getting the leaves out on the street and stuff like that, even though that movie was shot in Pasadena. And if you look at the leaves on the trees, they're still perfectly beautiful and green. None of them are going to fall anytime soon. Um, but it is just that that little touch when you when you uh, give the power of suggestion to the audience, their mind kind of fills in the blanks a little bit. Yeah, I did think about um, The Lighthouse when I was watching this, actually, because I did, you know, and that's something we did talk about on the podcast. Yeah, and, and I did think about some of the, the uh, maritime myths, you know, um, and to me, they are so wedded to the Northeast. And I was actually surprised, again, that this is like Northern California as well. It didn't take away from me. Um, as being somebody from California, it actually kind of did the opposite for me. What it did is it sort of added a level of mystique to my state that is oftentimes so bound to the story of L.A. and Hollywood that you kind of forget sometimes when people talk about California that actually, no, like Northern California exists and Northern California is cool yeah. and Northern California has its own stories. And so for me, I was kind of like, ooh, maybe this is like a cool myth uh, that we could say derived even in the coasts of Northern California. So, like, I was thinking about it, but didn't it didn't detract from me. It actually added a cool layer to my state that I think is oftentimes I can maybe, dig that. yeah misunderstood or, or missed out on. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. 
What do you think about the storytelling device at the beginning, where you have this old, you know, ship captain that is telling this story? John Houseman. For me, for me, it works so well uh, because one, the way that he aggressively closes the watch, um, where it's kind of like, "Get your attention, <laughs> wake up, it's story time." And then he tells this story over the course of five minutes, which is perfect because you have five minutes, right, uh, left until midnight. And then the camera just slowly kind of pans upwards until he's out of frame as he's looking up. And then it dissolves into the kind of day of the 100th anniversary, which to me is just a continuation of the story. So it's almost as though the whole narrative device is that Carpenter is telling us a ghost story itself rather than it just kind of being a display of a ghost story the film itself is kind of um, a telling around the campfire and so it kind of fits into those traditions that you were talking about Raymond that you said you loved so much as a child but I, I also like that they don't just use that as a framing device because I think in a lot of movies they would have okay one time for one more story and then it sort of fades and into it goes the back tale. Into, and it goes back in time or something and then at the end of the movie, it would come back to the campfire and, right. oh, boy, that was a chilling tale. And then they all sort of hesitate before they disperse for the evening. And uh, and then you sort of roll credits on that or well, whatever. Well, that's like the big trouble in do... Little China, remember? It starts off with the guy that's a, a recounting little bit, yeah. the story. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't end with that, but it's still it starts with that. And it's an interesting framing device that we were all kind of like, does it add anything to the film? But this is different because yeah. it's a continuation. It, it's, it, it goes like... straight into it. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that this is one that uh, when Adrian Barbeau's son comes back and she goes, and, or, and and he tells her, oh yeah, he told us this really scary story about such and such, and she's like, great, whatever. And, and when you watch the movie, if you've seen it before, you're like, no, you might want to pay attention to what the story <laughs> he's about to tell you. Yeah. It might be relevant to the next couple nights of your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do we think about, so this is something I was I, I was kind of hinting at at the outset. One of the things I got to reflect on, and I actually just kind of tweeted about this because it, it started to make me think about pace in cinema. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about the pacing of the storytelling, about the pacing of the slow-moving fog, and it seems as though the film moves at the same pace. Maybe this is me being too meta again, but the film moves at the same pace as a slow-moving fog as well. It does. Right? It's not a good um, thing. <laughs> but here's one of the things I'm wondering there's something about slow cinema or slower cinema because this isn't properly slow cinema. It's only 90 minutes and it still kind of gets in and gets out. But those 90 minutes did feel like two and a half hours. Um, so it's not like it's, it's a... <laughs> okay, so watch it on one and a half speed like every other fucking yeah. movie. Jesus. And it's going to be fantastic. You double for this um, one. <laughs> I know, I'm so mad that I didn't. Um, no, uh, but it's not like it's a Bela Tarr film or Lav Diaz or Pedro Costa film or uh, a Chantel Ackerman film, right? that offers uh, a, a, an intentional, like, long, kind of poetic, meandering story. But nevertheless, there is something about the pacing that I really like, and it's this. And this is, maybe I'm just justifying it post hoc because I, like, uh -huh. can't come to be critical about a John Carpenter film, maybe? I don't know. Um, but it almost, it, it invites us to wait with it. It invites us to tarry with it. So without making a judgment or without just simply being carried along by bing, bang, boom, excitement, stimulation, right? It actually invites you to kind of pause a little bit. And, and again, reiterating this motif about the fog, it's almost like it gets us in touch with the rhythms of nature, right? So the film itself <laughs> has a pace that is kind of like natural and what is it, diurnal or something like that, right? Um, that moves with like the actual rotation of the earth and the flows of, of the wind or something like that. And there's a type of like silence and stillness that I really, really, I think, I think I appreciate, even if it's not always fun. And it made me think of a film recently that I absolutely loved, but I don't know if it's an enjoyable film, but A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, right? Okay. It's not an enjoyable experience, but there's something kind of lovely about sitting with the moving image or with stillness or with silence. And, and I wonder if this film has a similar effect. Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm glad you brought up A Hidden Life, a Terrence Malick film, okay? Because yeah. I like slow cinema. I don't want to give off the impression I don't think that there should be silence and slow, you know, uh, a moving cinema. But this is the the fog is to me the worst kind of slow cinema because you don't go to John Carpenter's The Fog to to have this 
Terrence Malick like experience. Okay, you go to, for your John Carr. I, I mean, I'm not saying he has to be. Uh, and if he was making his own meditative film that was like, this is not like my other films. That's one thing, you know, I would I would judge it on its own merits. But he's making basically a ghost movie. He's making like a genre movie. He wants it to be like his other films. This is a Saturday drive night drive-in movie with your friends, but it's a oh, slow yeah. one of those. Not good, John Carpenter. Like, like that's not you I, I well, think he was going for But it's really, perfect uh, because then you can make out with your partner in the car and you can eat some popcorn. I, I, and I think that he and then you don't miss in, anything. It's like a soap yeah, opera, you know? You in, in his mind you come he, back and in his mind, I think he wants every moment of, of that is of suspense in the fog to be very suspenseful, right? To where it feels like, oh shit, what is about to happen? He, like his goal would be for it to feel thrilling even when nothing is happening because you are so worried about what's going to happen in the fog. But I don't think it succeeds at all. Like, and I think that even after his rough cut, he figured that out where he's like, dude, I made a pretty boring movie. It's a lot of smoke m- machines going off. Okay. And, and, and I think that he uh, is probably thinking his lucky stars that it cost $1 million and it made $20 million, So it's a success. But he knows <laughs> he made not up to his n- normal par uh, for a movie. Well, he made do, a okay, too, too slow we, ghost movie. Do we think, though, that this is uh, us after – Paul Greengrass and jump cuts and after no. fast ads. Do you think that our minds now have been so distorted that now we can't enjoy it? But if we could go back in time to 1980 and watch this film with maybe a slower paced consciousness, do you think we would have a different take? Zero percent. He, he, he already made <laughs> Halloween at this point, right? And Halloween, you know, for most people that watch it Halloween now. Has a sim- so Halloween has a similar I was about to say that, that, that most it. people that watch Halloween now, it's, it's a little dated of a movie, right? It doesn't – it does not move at the same pace as your normal slasher film. But to me, it still works uh, uh, infinitely more because you're not – it has a cool device of, you know, the first person slasher thing going on for it. It's not literally starring fog, dude. It's not smoke. Smoke <laughs> is not. It's not that fun to watch at the end of the day, and it's not that terrifying. Um, well, I um I I understand where you're coming from. Um, I I hear you on all of that. I guess the one thing I would push back on a little bit is to say that uh, while you imply that the fog is not like his other movies, or that his other movies are faster paced and what have slightly. you, I I mean. At the end of the day, though, horror is a very big genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there are a lot of different interpretations of it, and especially when you start exploring different subgenres and stuff. Like, I'm a, as I said earlier, I'm a ghost story fanatic, and I could recommend a hundred other ghost stories that are paced like this, that are kind of slow rolling like the fog if that helps you Austin. <laughs> um and then there then there are hundreds of other great ghost stories that that get in and start things start moving you know the babadook i think is one that's a little bit faster paced that we've talked about on the show um so i do i do hear you ryan and it's it's definitely different strokes for different folks um and i i get why uh, some people might not like this and honestly I would say knowing that the work cut of this was 80 minutes before they went in and started putting stuff back in, I I, I might I'd be down to watch an 80 minute version of this. I'm not saying it couldn't stand to lose a few minutes here oh, yeah. and there, but I think the thing that appeals most to me all around is just that it's it, it is just a a really really solid nuts and bolts ghost story, and there aren't a lot of folks that that just do that and that have the confidence to just let that story be its own thing. And they're always trying to add twists and turns, and there's always a, a new hook, whereas this one is like, nah, it's exactly what the fucking book that Hal Holbrook found says it is. It's like, these guys are pissed at us, well, and they've come for blood. Well, really, I was mainly addressing just the the slow pace that Austin was talking about, because, yeah, like I said at the beginning, I agree with you that it's, it's well told, but let me put it this way. Like, if you were to tell, like, Ang Lee or... Or Terrence Malick, hey, uh, you're, I found your movie kind of boring. You know, they'd probably, probably be like, all right, well, that's probably not for you, right? The, I make kind of deliberately paced films, and it's just mm. if you're coming for a fast-paced movie. But whatever. this movie's being but, pitched. But if John Carpenter, yeah. if you told I John Carpenter, I, if, if Austin had said, I found this movie boring, he would be terrified because he's trying to – he wants to make a – he doesn't want you to leave 
going like, oh, well, hey, this, you know, this movie is just uh, too meditative for you, too slow paced. He wants you to be terrified, I think, is his goal. And I think that this was a failure on his part. Uh, that's all. Yeah, so so in the chat, uh, Bree's Thoughts said, I adore the fog. It was totally creepy and scary to me. Did you find it creepy and scary? Did you Did you guys? I That's the no. thing for me. It wasn't creepy and it wasn't scary. I think Ryan's right that Carpenter intended that when the fog is moving that we would be on the edge of our seats the entire time. But I didn't get that sense of creeped out eeriness. So for me, like like we're going to talk about The Thing in a couple of weeks. The Thing is one of those films that is creepy and scary and eerie because of the tension oh, yeah. it builds. <laughs> it works on right? a different level. And yeah. I don't think that The Fog was as successful for me, but do you guys think it was? Like Maybe as a kid I would have been fucking scared, but maybe I've just been jaded by like paranormal sure. activity jump scares and so it wasn't enough like, ooh, creepiness and scariness for me. I, I don't know. You know, I I really don't think of it as a, a deeply scary movie. Uh, I'm sure that maybe if I had seen it at the time or if I had seen it when I was younger, I might feel differently about it. But for me, it just, it, it works as a story just straightforward. And because, once again, I'm so obsessed with ghost stories just as a thing, I I like the atmosphere. I like the, the buildup of it. I like spending time in this little town and getting to know these people and all their little problems. And then just having, uh, I think most, most ghost stories that really, really work, or at least for me, the best ghost stories are uh, instances in which the ghosts function as a metaphor for either some trauma or uh, repressed memories or some other... Uh, kind of allegory and and something like this that uh, uses these ghosts as a metaphor for colonialism or uh, uh, you know settler hegemonic culture it just the the way that we sort of shuttle people to the margins so that we can have a more comfortable life um, you know that it, it it works for me I like that it's uh, engaging with some bigger ideas. And at the end of the day, I, I like that he just, he plays it straight. It's just really good, solid storytelling. If it's scary, eh, I can't really say that it is. But for me, a, a good story well told, it doesn't have to be, you know, a scare a minute. I can still enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, is there something essentially creepy about the, the just the central conceit of The Fog? This is something that... Uh... Uh, Father Paul McIntosh says in the chat, it's the first thing I think of when walking on a foggy night. So I was trying to think that as I walked in. I'm like, am I scared of the fog? Like, am I scared that something's going to jump out and get me? And I grew up in the suburbs. And for me, maybe it's also just that I don't find the fog very scary. Now, maybe it's because if I'm not a ship captain, if I were a fucking maritime sailor, then the fog is terrifying because you're going to run into the shore or something like that. And so you're going to follow the light and you follow the light and then you crash, right? So like... That's kind of what's going on here. But I'm not a fucking sailor. So the fog, I'm like, cool, just turn on your fucking headlights and you'll be fine. So, like, <laughs> I'm not afraid of the fog, you know? So maybe that's why it wasn't scary for me from the outset. I don't know. I uh, was way more scared of and liked The Mist more, the Stephen King. Uh, so, like, in terms of movies where smoke is the monster, I like, I prefer The Mist. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> if you watch that movie, because because there is instances, yeah, where it's a long push in shot of the mist and I'm like, oh, shit, like I'm actually kind of like something's about to happen, you know, and I'm and there's I, all, and I don't that. know. There's like it's more tense, whereas here it's kind of like, OK, how is John Carpenter going to make these kind of scary skull monster people in the in the, in yeah. the fog come out and scare me? Eh, after like long periods of of silence it's like kind of like it's way less i don't know and then there's the whole like it's a little less effective yeah certainly. neighbor turning on neighbor kind of aspect of the mist which is yeah. which is missing in the fog. whereas this one i think the fog really brings the people together and they start you know trying to act out of some solidarity and and protect each other right i, I will say one of the one of the master strokes in the mist the is when at the very beginning when the mist is rolling in and people start going to the edge of the grocery store and looking out on it 
the guy is running across the parking lot screaming and when he comes in he's got like blood down his shirt and he comes into the store and he just goes there's something in the mist and they're all just (laughs) you don't see it you don't know what it is he can't describe it he's just positive it's there and then Mm. immediately the division starts happening within the grocery store it's like we either believe him or we don't and that is going to dictate the path that each of these characters so because then it becomes psychological and because then then you as the audience become invested in it but exactly as Ryan was saying in this that doesn't happen because we know it's just going to be some undead zombie kind of ship monster things that are like they're slow walking through with hooks for hands you know so like it kind of yeah man I sound like I'm really fucking shitting on this film but really I think I think there's something interesting about it I just I think there's a lot that it misses on I'm I'm a huge horror fan. I'm a horror filmmaker in my own right, and I like to have a big tent for horror. I like to have a lot of different stuff, a lot of different yeah. paces and moods and atmospheres. Fun in there. horror, and... boring horror, all. <laughs> <laughs> but I I definitely I definitely think we need to talk about the mist on this show because we we could do a whole episode on that. that's a great great movie. Okay, final thoughts, Ryan, and then we're gonna jump into the mailbag and uh, answer some people's thoughts and questions. My final thought was just kind of touching on uh, a question you brought up earlier about why doing the suburbs, and I and uh, yeah. I think that a it's it's a fun, um, on top of what I said earlier, kind of about how David Lynch also uses it and stuff. Like there's a dark undercurrent, but it's fun to see all these people who are very close, a close knit community, become even closer through some absurd, extreme circumstances. That's just like I think a, a, a cool trope that he is taking advantage of here and it's not necessarily that he hates the suburbs but it's just fun to watch all these people confront that and then also the fact that it can happen you know anywhere like kind of like halloween where all right it's this isn't just some big city this is like literally where any of us lives uh, you know out in the supposedly safe suburbs like uh he's uh that's a kind of subversive uh uh plot a little bit yeah so anyway yeah yeah those are my final thoughts okay well uh, let's go ahead and wrap up there. Please continue discussing in the chat below. Um, obviously, if can... I, uh... oh yeah, bro, go ahead, go ahead, Raven. Go <laughs> but, ahead. Before we move on from the fog, just real quick, before yes, we move yes. on from the fog, I said it on last week's episode, but I just want to say it again. Rest in peace, Hal Holbrook. Uh, he's one of the stars of this picture, and he today is actually his birthday as well. Um, and uh, I just want to shout out one of my favorite moments in this movie after he's been reading the cursed book and he's staring off into the middle distance and going, we're all cursed, the town is cursed. Janet Lee is like sidling up behind him and she goes, hey, look, I don't think we really have time to deal with all this <laughs> stuff. Are you going to be at the, the town party tonight or not to give a benediction? And he's just like zeroed out. And that, that part just like gets me. And I think that's one of the cool things about Carpenter is he, he never takes these worlds too seriously. He builds them out. He populates them with interesting characters. And and he's always kind of aware and uh, and willing to play with the, the conceit and have some fun with it. Uh, so. I'm actually glad you brought that up because another thing I love John Carpenter for is his hilarious uh, wicked sense of humor and I think that this is yeah. one of his yeah. most humorless movies I would say where this movie oh. has it's funny too uh, there's some stuff like yeah, the, yeah. The, the, juxtap- sure. the, the juxtaposition of the old maritime you know zombie people and the town or whatever <laughs> and the kids but I don't know um, n- n- not. I, I think there's some funny stuff in it, but I, I, it's it's definitely not on the level of like they live, where there's just a ten minute fight sequence that just goes on to the point that you can't like help but laugh. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel you. But, and, and and real quick, there was a point I thought uh, about earlier when we were talking about how he uses the fog to hopefully ratchet up tension and stuff. And if he and if it doesn't work, then literally the movie doesn't work and is a failure. And I and I, which I think it, to the degree it is. But there, I was listening to this awesome conversation between Tarantino and Edgar Wright. It's like a three-hour thing. Oh, I haven't listened to that. It's yet. awesome, and they that? they basically talk about this exact thing where where you know Tarantino basically says like my whole career is me making these sequences where I'm ratcheting it up like a tension like a rubber band. And if it doesn't work, if you don't buy the payoff, then I've I fucked up to such a degree you're going to hate the whole Mm. thing you know and I think that to a degree that movie has this problem where it's kind of like if you if the fog isn't into if you don't buy the fog if you don't believe in the fog and get scared about the fog this movie will suck to you kind of it's just kind of like well then there's nothing for me here and uh, uh, I think that that movie kind of 
unfortunately, I, I think you can make a better version of this. I know that the remakes suck. But I think that there is a version of the fog, which I think maybe is the mist. I think that could be a good. <laughs> yeah, maybe the mist is the it's, like it's scary, the amped actually. up version of yeah. this. But I will say also uh, just uh, Juice Mofo coming to my defense in the top chat. Uh, I I think it's because the scary thing about fog slash mist is the unknown. The problem with this movie seems to be that it explains all its midi chlorians in the first half. So <laughs> I can definitely I see both parts of that comment. Definitely, I think I think both of those are right. And and if all of that stuff being front loaded is kind of a a buzzkill for you, then if you're not on the movie's wavelength, it's just not going to work. All right, so let's jump into the mailbag. Uh, as we said at the top of the show, I'm going to reiterate it. Please give us a call and leave us a voicemail. Thanks again to Jarrell and Anonymous for the love this week. Um, you can call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. Leave us your thoughts and comments and opinions and disagreements and whatever. You can also email us, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. We're going to talk about uh, a few different things. Things. Hopefully get through as many of these as we can. First, we'll start off with Michael, who has a, some comments about Big Trouble in Little China. Says, hey, Wisecrack, big fan of SMTM, and I was thrilled to see you cover Big Trouble in Little China. It's one of my favorite all-time movies. To age myself, I saw it opening weekend twice. My friends and I saw it at the 7 p.m.-ish show. Then we all turned around and saw it again for the 9 p.m. show. As far as any problematic sides to this movie, all I can say is that this movie opened me up to a lifetime of kung fu and Asian cinema fandom. I fall on the homage interpretation. Carpenter did his homework and delivered a movie that did things that took American cinema decades to catch up to. A worthy achievement no matter where you come from. And then, one suggestion for the Carpenter movies, try Prince of Darkness. It's low budget, but some of the ideas presented there, from quantum physics to scientific origins of religion, offer a lot for discussion. Thanks, and keep up the good work, Michael. So, yes, Prince of Darkness. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover it now, but maybe at some point down the road. Um, but what do you think about this idea that, you know, we talked a little bit about, like, are there some problematic issues with Orientalism or whatever? And was it an homage to Asian cinema and stuff like that? Um, Michael was obviously indebted to this film because it opened him up to uh, a variety of stuff that he wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Yeah, I, I can see that being one of the pluses of the film. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are criticisms of it. We discussed this at, at greater length last week. Um, but I, I think I even mentioned on our Big Trouble episode that this is the kind of thing that could point viewers towards uh, homegrown kung fu movies. Um, and I think anything that gets people excited about discovering different aspects of film and film history, that's a win in my book, as long as it's not like <laughs> obviously flagrantly problematic. And then the other thing that I would say to its credit, uh, or to reiterate rather, because I mentioned this last week, is that even to this day, you're not going to see a lot of studio films that uh, that focus so primarily on uh, an Asian cast or an all Asian cast. It, it, it may be the case that Kurt Russell's the star of the movie, but to have that many jobs on one picture for uh, that many Asian actors is, I mean, that, that's pretty good for its time. Um, so, you know, I, I know that a, a lot gets lost when you qualify things with for their time. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this movie uh, did, did the best they could to kind of make sure that they were handling this material sensitively, or at least in a way that would, would age a little bit more fairly than other pictures of its kind. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, let's go to another one on Big Trouble in Little China from Matthew. It says, Hi, all love the pod. We'll keep this short and sweet, but just wanted to say I'm surprised no one mentioned that the Storm's character, the Raiden alikes, are an homage to and or heavily influenced by the Masters of Death in Shogun Assassin, Lone Wolf and Cub series. Now that's a fun set of films. Thanks from West London and take care. Have you guys seen those? I have not. I've seen a couple of them, yeah. I, I wrote a review of them for a, a friend's movie site a couple of years ago, and they fucking rule. Really? <laughs> They're the absolute best. And one of the, one of the things, uh, in addition, there's, I think, six or seven of them. They were uh, brought over. They were imported as... Um, in America, they were called Shogun Assassin. In Japan, they're called Lone Wolf and Cub. They're based on a, a series of manga. Um but they're they're phenomenal. Um, if if you can, I would say check them out. I think they're all streaming on Criterion Channel, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. They did a, a box set of these a few years ago, 
and they're the absolute best. And they're all only like 80 minutes long, so you can just breeze through them in a week. They're they're really, really fucking good. Um, you brought up Tarantino earlier, Ryan. Uh, they're watching Shogun Assassin and Kill Bill Volume 2 when uh, she's reunited with her daughter. Nice. Um, but, yeah, those, those movies rule. Yeah. What do you think, Ryan? Any thoughts on that? I mean, I love Lone... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I love the series, but I and I've seen the first two, which I guess that means I've seen Shogun Assassin. But um, and they're comparing it to Big Trouble in Little China. That's the deal. Well, just that the the Storms characters are either like indebted to or heavily influenced by those characters. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And then Raiden, the character in Mortal Kombat, is obviously influenced by a similar aesthetic, right? So. Yeah. But the uh, the first Shogun Assassin film is uh, it's the first two in the in the Lone Wolf and Cub series edited together, um, so that that one's a a little bit of a mishmash. But after that, I think the the rest of the the movies in the the Shogun Assassin series are just a one to one translation of the movies from Lone Wolf and Cub. Cool. All right. So now we'll jump into uh, the last email for today, which is really just a, a quite simple one. It's got no subject from Stephen, who says, would love to hear all your thoughts on the film Climax. Thanks. Oh, hell now, fucking yeah. Now, the reason I wanted... To, <laughs> I love that fucking movie. The re- that's, this too. is the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I love Gaspar Noé. I, I love Noé. I, though, would think i would want to do enter the void because irreversible is a little heavy i love it though um love 3d is like whatever you see it people are having sex the distracted films is that what they're called detracted films whatever they're called um those are fine whatever i, I stand alone's a little brutal I don't yeah know so i think enter the but void Clim- and climax. climax is really fun yeah climax is fun um i yes yeah, so what do you think go ahead i love climax i just don't i just don't think there's a lot to chew on it's like you know, we we could get on and gush about it, but I I, I don't know that we're gonna break down a whole. What's the what, what's the meaning behind all the dancing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it I would, it would enter, enter, enter the void. Why, might be that's why bit. I say enter the void because yeah. it would like enter us into a discussion of no way and its aesthetic and style and stuff like that. But Ryan, what what were you thinking? I mean, I think that there's a ton to talk about with uh, with climax. I mean, the, the, remember, there's the whole everyone remembers the dancing sequence, but there's the, there's the whole build up to the party is a lot, right? With all the different characters and what is he doing with that, and uh, uh, with all that like dead on framing where they're just having conversations. Yeah, You're like where that, is this going? That kind of thing, right? And then what is he saying about all of it? I mean, I, I think there's a ton to chew on with that movie, and it's just such a I have, I will never forget that viewing experience. So my jaw was on the floor, and I was on the edge of my seat the whole last half, and then most of you know the beginning. But yeah, that's how I, I was I love that when guy. I saw Enter the Void. Yeah, I, when I saw well, Enter the Void, I mean, Enter the Void credits, for what? For like, three fucking hours? <laughs> you know how <laughs> you yeah. only sit on the edge of your seat for so long, Austin. It's I so was there. Long, he though. had me. Uh, yeah. So we've we've got a bunch of stuff on the docket. We got Hook. We got the Mist. We got Climax or Enter the Void. We've got the rest of the Carpenter stuff. I Halloween wish there was more filmmakers like Noe. Uh, uh, yes. Is it Noe or Noe? Uh, I say I Noe because he's Argentinian, whatever. French. So whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, I uh, like. I wish there was more people like that guy. Just because, like, just in your fucking face. Uh, just doing psycho shit. Yeah, but but amazing yeah. at it. Like he he's yeah. not just a transgressive gonna... filmmaker, just like rubbing your face and shit, saying "Look at this crap." You know, it's like he's doing that in a way that is very cinematically effective. And mm. I, you feel a little dirty at the end of his movies, but you're like, dude, I just felt, I just went through some shit. I went through something with a, bu- a whole bunch of other people here when I watched. What this. if we do? What if we do the next Patreon poll and? All of us just choose only do Gaspar Noé. Only Gaspar Noé films. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that could, would that could blow void, up in I'd our say. faces so easily. It could. If they choose Love 3D, I'm going to be so annoyed. <laughs> you know they're picking Enter the Void. That's everyone's favorite. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, just only Gaspar Noé and Lars von Trier in the next Patreon. Oh. Just absolutely, absolutely stepping in shit. You yeah, are just terrible. singing. You're singing my tune. <laughs> I figured. I figured that would work out well for you. Those are my. Speaking two of, of my I just. Faves. 
I just rewatched uh, Paris, Texas, which seems like a real Austin uh, Austin movie. That's Absolutely. I know you're a big Wim Wenders fan. I was just going to say, give me some give me some Wim Wenders every day. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Um, we got to get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, please call us, email us, uh, get involved in the chat when we're live and stuff like that, and we're, we're going to engage with you. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Man, I just released an insane hour-long Guar movie on what? the Funhouse channel. You should check it out. I was on a okay. me and Guar played video games together, and uh, they killed me repeatedly. Sent me to hell five times. Fake, so, fake uh, blood, fake blood, and everything. Oh, it's uh, it's all there. Yeah, go check <laughs> out. So the uh, Scum Dogs of the Bargain Verse on Funhouse. I'm super proud of that. And then Ryan Short's going to start making a lot more shorts now that I'm done with the Guar video. So uh, cool. that's where you can find me. Awesome. And Raymond? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Uh, feel free to stop by, give us some movie recommendations, uh, and check out patreon.com slash wisecrack if you want to take part in the Patreon polls and uh, decide our fate going forward. <laughs> and uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, or on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y, and I host a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. We just did an interview today that'll be up this weekend with Sarah Jaffe, who is a writer and journalist who uh, has a new book out called Work Won't Love You Back. So we talked about the phenomenon of burnout and work and all these other things, as well as the um, prospects of building better communities based around art uh, art and art communities. So a uh, great chat, awesome. and she's a wonderful journalist, wonderful writer. So yeah. All right. We love you. Thank you once again. Come back next week for what film are we doing, Rye? Escape from New York. Hell yeah. Hello. My All favorite right, carpenter. <laughs> Goodbye from Antonio Bay in Northern <laughs> California. This has been The Fox.